everybody welcome back to my channel so today we have Michaela with us so she's a wildlife biologist and they're very important to the safety and preservation of animal species but they also benefit society as a whole they observe animals in their natural habitats and conduct experimental studies to test for environmental hazards diseases and unusual movement pattern so let's hear her out about her experience and everything so Thank I have you. some questions for you as you are a biologist so yeah, so what is the best experience you had with animals and which one was it? Oh, I love that question. Um, okay, so I don't know if I can narrow it down to one. I think my first connection with a wild animal was really powerful for me because it showed me that that's what I wanted to do with my life. I've always loved animals, but when I was 18 years old or just about 19, I guess, I went to South Africa um, and I was volunteering at the SPCA there, and I ended up in the wildlife unit, and I got to help rehabilitate a Cape fox um, who had been orphaned um, from a car crash. Her mom was killed, and her legs were broken, and I got to be a part of helping raise her until she was able to be released because she still had some – her leg was fixed, but she still had some issues. She was released into um, more like a – a sanctuary type situation, but like with tons of space and lots of other foxes. So it was a really cool experience and that kind of shifted my direction career wise for sure. Okay, that's great. Like you are doing something like and helping our wildlife. So like which one was the best project you had till now? Um, I've been really fortunate to be a part of a lot of different great projects and they all, you know, have their pros and cons for sure. You know, every sort of charity has issues that they struggle with. Um, but I'm like really proud of everywhere that I've gotten to work. But I would definitely say um, the place that's most special to me, of course, is where I work now, uh, Terakaya Ecological Reserve and Rescue Center. Um, so I came to Terakaya about five years ago as a volunteer, just after South Africa, actually, um, you know, deciding what I wanted to do with my life, trying to get experience before I continued on to my degree. Um, and Terakaya was just such a magical experience for me. And I connected to it so much that they hired me as soon as I graduated. So um, I just really am fortunate to have a job that really makes a difference in the world and in the community in which we live. Um, and it, it's very fulfilling. Yeah, you are really taking a really nice initiative in your life. And uh, like, what actually motivated you in your bi biologist uh, wildlife career? Yeah, so um, it definitely varies. At Terakaya, um, I am a conservation biologist and the volunteer coordinator. So um, I lead all sorts of activities with volunteers that promote the conservation we have on our reserve and at our rescue center. So we have a rescue center, and we house at times up to 100 wild animals. So it varies. Some of them are in for very short periods of time. They just maybe have an injury and are going to be immediately released. Some have longer-term um, times in the rescue center. We do a reintroduction program of spider monkeys. So we have right now probably about 30, 35 spider monkeys in our rescue center, which we receive as orphans generally from the illegal pet trade um, or whose parents have been killed in uh, bushmeat hunting. And so we take those um, spider monkeys, we treat them for all medical issues, make sure they're healthy, and then raise them 
and integrate them into groups with other spider monkeys, and we are releasing them back into the forest, which is really important because where Terrakaya is, spider monkeys used to be, like, so uh, widespread, but because of illegal hunting and the pet trade, they were completely extirpated, which means they're extinct in that area. So what we're doing is we're bringing them back into the area, which is crucial for the spider monkeys, but also the ecosystem, because the spider monkeys travel the highest and the furthest in the canopy, and they're essential seed dispersers. So without them, it affects the plants and other animals, and it's like a big cascading effect. So, um, you know, that's just one example of a lot of the projects we do for animals and for the environment. And um, what we try and work on is the interconnectivity of animals, environment, and, you know, the people around us and the people that live in the Amazon as well. Oh, that's great. Like, of course, uh, like you have been working in this field, I guess, since the past eight years. Uh, I have seen the actual video maybe in CBN news channel like eight years before. So I want to know, like, how many years it has been for you to work? Oh, my God. So when you told me that you found that video, I laughed so hard because I must have been like 13 or 15 at the time. So my life has been a bit of a roller coaster. At that point in my life, um, I wasn't actually interested in like doing the job I have now. I was pursuing theater. I ended up leaving home for California really young to do theater. Um, but um, I always loved animals, always, always, always loved animals, was super passionate about, like, animal welfare, um, and I was actually protesting a rodeo that happens in the city that I grew up in, uh, Calgary, Alberta. Um, every year, there's uh, the Calgary Stampede, which has been going on for, like, 100 years, and it's really ingrained in the culture here, um, and... The event itself is a great event. They have rides, they have games, they have shows. But my issue is the rodeo, which is actually how it started as just a rodeo. But, you know, we're in 2020 now. And I just have a lot of problems with the animal cruelty in rodeos. And as a young girl, that was one of the first things yeah, that I noticed and became passionate about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, your speech was great. I have seen it. So like, oh, that's so funny. I can't believe that still comes up when you Google me. You know that you are featured or somewhere. Yeah, for sure. All right. So what a typical day looks like you while working there? Yeah. So obviously, like many of us, COVID has interrupted my normal life. I'm right now back in Canada where I grew up Um kind of waiting until the border opens, basically, for Peru. And I'm going to, like, right now I'm working four part-time jobs and just trying to be productive. But in my normal life, um, usually I wake up at either 5.30 or 7, depending on the day. Um, and uh, I'll either grab a quick breakfast before I start or I'll go straight up and take – usually I'm taking volunteers – um, that come and visit us, and I'll take them up to our canopy platform early in the morning to do bird watching, or we might go for a nice walk in the forest first. And then typically in a day, I'll have two main activities, sometimes three, sometimes four, just kind of depends on the day and what we have going on. And I could be doing anything from cleaning cages and feeding animals to um, 
you know, marking trails and keeping our reserve safe. I could be, we have two permaculture farms that we um, keep going so we can help feed ourselves and the animals and show um, local communities how to do more sustainable farming. So we maintain those. I also am engaged in a lot of the research aspects of Terracaya. So we monitor what wildlife exists in our reserve. So I do a lot of camera trap monitoring for mammals, um, pitfall traps for reptiles and amphibians, butterfly traps, bird watching, bird banding. Um, I go out and see our release spider monkeys. The thing about Terracaya is it's always different and there's always a million different things you can do. You know, one day I'm going to be picking up trash somewhere and then the next day I'm going to be hanging out with spider monkeys. So it's very variable. It might be fun, I guess, with animals and then, you know, the nature you get there, a lot of peace might be there. Yeah, you know, there's something really special about living so isolated and in a small community. You know, it's it's very much it's just that it's a community and you also are given like we're away from I can get some cell signal like I'll message my parents you know and let them know I'm okay except when I go into town there's obviously signal but you know on my day-to-day I'm so disconnected from normal society and I find my mental health is so much better living like that compared to like right now being back in a big city like the hustle and the bustle and the go 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 like it's just a totally different mindset of life yeah i totally agree with that so like what is the most important issue in conservative today and how would you address it Ooh, that's a really tough question because there are so many issues you know like there's so many things we need to target and i think the biggest thing is they're all interconnected too you know climate issues uh wildlife issues human issues feminist issues racial issues class issues it's all interconnected but i think the overlying theme that i see in all of this and like the problem that we as humanity are facing is ignorance and apathy because people either don't know or they don't want to know or they know and they choose not to care. They, like, understand, they see the problems we're facing, but if it doesn't apply directly to them right now, you know, they're just going to push it away. Or they know it happens, but they're like, eh, you know, like, somebody else will deal with that. Somebody else will do it. And that's not the, we can't afford to have that attitude. We all have to be doing something, even if it's just small, even if it's just in our daily lives, or even if that just is going to vote for, you know, a candidate who's going to represent the future and positive beliefs, you know, and like the world has exploded so much over the past, you know, couple of months, like everything, you know, the BLM uprising and, you know, everything with COVID and the anti-mask kind of rhetoric. And I just think the underlying theme of all of this is just, you know, ignorance and people just don't know and they're not willing to listen. And conservation is so like intrinsically linked with all of these social issues that we need to like have a holistic approach to it. But for me specifically, how I'm targeting conservation issues, you know, I'm one person, I would love to solve all the world's problems. And, you know, I stay up many a night trying to solve all the world's problems. But at least in this moment, I just want to focus on uh, like what I can do in my community here in Canada and what I can do in my community in Peru. Um, And, you know, 
pursuing a career that is giving back. And at least for right now, that's just what I'm putting my energy into is Terakaya and then, um, you know, the few things that I'm doing here. Looks what you're actually doing great and, you know, like going there. I know like how it might be like a situation hard for like forests and animals right now. Aren't they really facing even right now? Like it's the COVID as you know, and even you are here. So yeah, it's a crazy world. <laughs> okay. So like does climate change actually plays a big role in animals' life habitat? Oh. Absolutely. Uh, a lot of these changes cannot be measured immediately. Uh, but, you know, I mean, I work in the Amazon, but let's just look at, like, the Arctic, because that is such a clear example of climate change causing glacier melt, causing sea level rise, which is literally making the habitat for polar bears, for penguins, disappear. Like, it is literally evaporating before our eyes. Um and there's so many more examples. I mean, climate change causes storms, drought, heat, cold. Like, it causes so many different things. And we don't even know everything that it's going to cause. But we know that sea levels are rising and that if we don't change anything, places that exist now are going to be completely underwater. And every time you take a piece of habitat away from wildlife, they either die or they have to go encroach on another habitat, whether that be other wildlife's habitat causing wildlife-wildlife conflict or human habitat causing human-wildlife conflict. So, like, it's, again, like a cascading effect. One, one domino falls and then the rest start going. And unless we pay attention and try and connect the dots between all of these different issues, it's just going to run away on us so fast that we won't be able to catch yeah. up, like, as a society. It's been drastic for, I guess, even humans and animals. For, and actually, we are more responsible for that today. So, like, what resources or opportunities that you got in Sarikaya? I'm sorry if I'm spelling wrong. No, it's so, like, Yes, you got in that eco-reserve. And which are the most valuable things from that? Um. Well... For me personally, it's, I guess, a sense of fulfillment in what I'm doing. You know, I go to sleep every night feeling like I'm doing something bigger, like to contribute to something bigger than myself. You know, I, I grew up in Canada. I had a lot of amazing opportunities to, for education, for activities, for travel. And through all of that, I saw the world. I gained all this knowledge. And what I want to do with that privilege is really, like, give back, you know. I, I want to do something with my life that's meaningful and is for, you know, the world and not for me. And Terakaya really gives me that. And kind of on the other hand, like, I also have a lot of fun. Like, how many people are lucky enough to say that they wake up every morning and are so excited to go to work? Like, it's so much fun being out in the jungle. Like, even the hard days, even the difficult times, even the frustrating times, I still walk away being like, you know what? Tomorrow's going to be great because, like, it's always an adventure. And I have amazing coworkers, so that really helps, too. <laughs> That's good. Like, even we people are, like, so pissed with the technology right now and they feel like, I need to wake up somewhere very late with na- nature and all. And we're so lucky to have it all there. Yeah. 
Oh, I'm so lucky. Like, I wake up with the sun. I go to sleep. Like, I go to sleep early and wake up early. And, like, just I'm in nature all the time. It's it's the best. And, yeah, being back in a city for COVID, like, I'm grateful to get to spend time with my family for sure. But, man, it's nice, like, being in nature as opposed to a city. <laughs> Yeah, like, yeah, that's a great thing that you're waking up with so many good energy and spirit every day. And yeah. your animals might strange right now. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so from your experience in working with local communities, so what is the importance of indigenous knowledge or communities should have about biodiversity problems? Okay, I love this question so much because I don't think this is asked enough or talked about enough. Um, so at UBC, I went to University of British Columbia. I studied uh, conservation in the Faculty of Forestry. And I was so grateful because the curriculum really did have a focus on incorporating, um, you know, First Nations knowledge and Indigenous knowledge into the curriculum. Um, there were, I think, one or two required classes, and then I took a few more elective classes kind of in that to learn. And I think my biggest takeaway is, yeah, the value of um, what we call tech traditional ecological knowledge is the knowledge of indigenous and or local people um, to the nature that they have there that, you know, scientists, settlers, you know, Western kind of educated people will come in and not know or not be able to understand because they haven't lived there for generations and generations. Um, and it's so critical. And um, in Terakai, we're pretty isolated. Like we do work with some of the jungle communities and we, you know, we work with uh, communities in town and promote education. But on a day-to-day basis, we are so isolated in the middle of the jungle. It's just the people that are working there. But, for example, um, I was in Cameroon for a while, and, like, the local forest and the villages were all intermingled. So people were in the forest all day long, all over. So it was super critical that you worked alongside. And the importance of working alongside people comes down to the fact that not only do they have the knowledge to share to protect it better, and they've been protecting it for generations and generations, but we have to also acknowledge the class and wealth disparities uh, in Peru. You know, it is illegal to hunt spider monkeys in the forest. It's, it's illegal. But if I'm somebody that doesn't have, like, doesn't have a job, my farming isn't working out, I don't know how I'm going to send my kids to school and put food on the table, why would we ever think that person should care about conservation? Like, if they're just trying to survive. We have to protect the basic rights of people. We have to, pro- we have to provide food, water, jobs, uh, education. Like, people have to have ba- access to their basic human rights in order for them to even care about conservation. And a lot, there's a lot of great initiatives out there of hiring local people for conservation initiatives so that they get a salary and they're protecting the environment. So there's a lot of great things out there, but I also have seen a lot in the conservation community of 
you know, Western people coming into a community, taking over, and then just saying, nope, you can't hunt, you can't do this, you can't do this, and we're not going to help you. And to me, that's not conservation. Like, that's that's just not conservation because the local people have to be included. Yeah, so I totally agree on this. And it was really great talking to you when you, like, you know, like told a lot many things that maybe people don't know today and to save forests first. So it was so nice having you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I'll talk to you soon.